Well, your vision is your North Star. I mean, I think that's how you, you navigate where you go to. When I talk about agility, it's more about the road or the path to the vision. Mm-hmm. And a vision isn't, you know, mm-hmm. a vision and purpose are not who you are today. Obviously, it's who you want to be when you grow up. Hey there, this is Ben. Thanks for tuning in to Lead the Team. Before we jump in, we just broke into the top 2% of all podcasts globally, and that's largely due to the support of listeners just like you. I invite you to subscribe so you're notified when we release a new episode and also leave a quick review. Welcome back to Lead the Team with number one best-selling author and in-demand corporate trainer, Ben Fanning. On this podcast, the world's most innovative senior leaders share their top success strategies to motivate your direct reports, cultivate your top leaders, and accelerate your career. Let's get started. Here's Ben. Lead the Team Nation, hello and welcome back. Got a fun one coming up your way right here, right now, with Billy Peretti, who's the CEO at Cleanco. And he is a marketing and brand management executive in the luxury and premium brand sector, including previously holding leadership positions as CMO over Belvedere Vodka, LVMH, David Yerman, and Prada. Billy, welcome to Lead the Team. Thank you, Ben. Nice to see you. Y'all are going to be highly entertained, no matter what he says, by his incredible radio voice. So he's setting the expectation really, really, really high here. So let's start out. How did Cleanco come about? So our founder is a, a former reality TV star named Spencer Matthews. I have never seen any of Spencer's reality shows. I probably never will because I like him too much. And I don't want to see that past of his. Um, and Spencer met a woman by the name of Vogue Williams who is now his wife and they have three children and he wanted to settle down and he wanted to stop partying. And, um, he decided he was going to go completely alcohol free as we call it clean. Um, and he went to a party at his sister-in-law's house and his sister. Who was that? Who's the, his sister-in-law is Pippa Middleton related to Kate Middleton, the, the Kate Middleton. Okay. Correct. Okay. okay. And she served him a non-alk cocktail and he thought it tasted like absolute shit. And he thought he could do better. All right. And boom, there you go. And this is one of the brilliant things about our founder and his ambition. He wanted something that tasted as good as a real spirit. So he could still enjoy cocktails, which he loved. Hmm. Yeah, so many great ideas come from fulfilling a personal need <laughs> that's yeah. out there. And then come to find right. out other people have the same. Yep. So Clinko is a very interesting company. And I don't think, I, I imagine a lot of the listeners, this is going to be one of the first times that this has crossed their path. And one of the things that that left out at me immediately was, and this is on the Clinco website, the average person spends 252 hours a year hung over. It's true. What, and what would you do with that time back? Some say we sell non-alcoholic spirits, 
but we say we sell time. Yes. A life less wasted. I did not expect that uh, when I go to this webpage. So tell me more about Clinko and how a guy who's gone from, you know, cognac, right? Moet Hennessy, Velvet or Vodka is now working for a non-alcoholic spirits company. Sure. Um, It was honestly very straightforward. When I was on Belvedere, I was responsible for the innovation plan and the pipeline for the brand. And we were constantly looking at consumer insights, trade insights that showed that the low ABV, no ABV, zero ALK category was growing in in exponential numbers year on year. So we started exploring innovations even at MH, and I'm sure they, they are currently. Um, but for Belvedere specifically, we the closest we got was to a ready to drink and and that's like significantly lower alcohol what was it called a ready to drink like a canned seltzer alcohol combination Mm -hmm. and um they were they were great and they they tasted great but but i i had this point in my mind that my next chapter in my career is going to be in a space that is relatively untapped and the zero alk piece was very interesting. So when when the clean co opportunity came my way, it's it's a non-alk beverage, but um it's a beverage that mimics the actual taste of the spirits, which I thought was mm. very odd at first, quite candidly. Like why would someone want to drink something that tastes like a spirit but has no alcohol? And you start digging deeper and you understand that people really appreciate alcohol the taste of spirits cocktails the environments that they are drinking in but people are moving you know slowly away from drinking at the uh let's say frequency that they normally do Mm. so what i thought was interesting and it's the heart of what we do this this product and this offering is not about uh something for someone who doesn't drink at all or can't drink while that addresses those audiences it's for anyone who has a relationship with alcohol and they are rethinking how they consume and and i thought that was a really interesting opportunity for um us as a brand but also for the consumer in terms of giving them a solution to a problem And I'll give you a couple of examples. There's, you know, the person who's out every single night for social functions, um, drinking as part of their their normal routine of going out, but they can't drink every night. They can't, you know, feel hungover in the morning. They have a higher purpose to wake up for in the morning. So um, we've, we've pretty much identified four somewhat overlapping profiles that we believe we speak to. The first one are, you know, the group is, is defined as as caregivers, and those are people who mm-hmm. have a higher purpose or a calling. These are, um, you know, first responders, drivers, people who who really just can't drink because they need to be sober to do what their job is. Uh, doctors, firemen, nurses, and then the second group, um, which kind of dovetails off of caregivers, are moms to be parents who have to you know be very sharp and lucid for their kids in the morning Mm -hmm. 
Um, the third group is is around performance and athletes. So performance athletes and you know people who are training for a variety of different things, whether it be a marathon, a triathlon, or just trying to keep up with their own pace. And then last, which is more more broad um, and probably where it has the greatest overlap, are what we are defining as self improvers. People are like, you know what, alcohol is really not the best thing for me. I'm trying to be more mindful about what I, I put in my body. I, I love to drink, but I'm not going to drink all the time. Um, mm -hmm. Cut back on it. I'm still going to be part of the occasions and you know mm -hmm. celebrations that I'm 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 usually drinking in. Mm. So anyway, that was why it 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 honestly was most appealing and interesting to me because I saw that white space and I saw how it could be a business opportunity and a huge solution for people who are already starting to reconsider their relationship with alcohol. Wow. And I can see it playing out, especially, and we have a lot of business leaders and drinking is often part of business and a part of social occasions. And if you're a business executive, you're going to be in three cities and you're having three or four different dinners a week and you're seeing your, your health decline, your waist expanding, you're feeling bad. You're not as sharp. Yeah. And this could be a great, you know, a great solution to participate. But like, and I thought it was interesting too, because you're saying, Hey, look, yes, if you're going to stop drinking, this could be a solution, but that you're, it sounds like a lot of these profiles, people who may have may drink periodically, but they just don't want to do it with the frequency of the occasions that these things are showing up at. So mm -hmm. they're looking to strike more of a balance. And if it really, you know, tastes like the, the experience you're normally getting, then they'll be more open to uh, participating and, and uh, reaping the benefit of that. Yeah. And I mean, it's pretty simple. The other thing that I really love about Clinko is that it's shorthand. You can say, I'll have a gin and tonic or a margarita, just make it clean. It's very nice. easy for someone to to just say yeah. like make it clean and it's not uncomfortable. It it it's a perfectly easy way to order. So if and help us understand too the expansiveness of this. So if they're say you're in Chicago, uh, they're going to be there next Wednesday, and we're recording this during the holiday time. So oh Lord, you know spirit cells explode during the holiday season here. Uh, are they able to order this 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 vernacular and say I want the the vodka tonic clean or is this new that you're introducing and it's and they're not going to be ready for this necessarily we're introducing it they won't okay. be ready for it yet but where we are distributed and served you will be able to say that That's okay okay so they go to the website clinco.com they check it out they're going to be in these cities and they'll know if they're going to be able to work is, are, you, are you really targeting uh, and I want to dig more into your career, by the way, but I, I'm kind of in, so interested in this stuff. I want to make sure I understand. So are, are you sort of introducing into uh, bars, restaurants at the same time that you're going to have it? Yes. And other other regular distribution too? Through yeah. stores? So, so the, the off-trade strategy so that we can make it accessible to most people is to make it available in well-known places, but also places that we know people would be responsive to the product. 
So like like-minded environments, if you will. And then we are targeting um the on-premise in in a similar way where we're looking mm-hmm. at chains, um, chain restaurants, you know, what we call national accounts, and um sort of uh, you know, what I would like to call trophy accounts that have high visibility where they have a lot of traffic and yeah. want the product to be seen. You know, what I'm hearing it, what's playing for me is was one of the executives we had early on, leader of uh, Beyond Meat. And we talked about the game changer for them was, hey, we have a good product, but what we're going to really dominate on is where we have these things distributed in place. And when they were able to negotiate their way into the meat area of the store mm-hmm. versus being in the novelty section, it was suddenly just incredibly ex- explosive. Now, I don't know what the equivalent of it is for Co, but I suspect that being in bars and whatnot might have a similar effect or even where where, the, where it's going to be placed in a... Are you going to have it in the liquor stores too? Or yeah, Okay. We'll so have yeah. them in, in liquor stores. We'll have them in national chains where there are pure play non-alc retail stores that are opening up. Oh, um, okay. that we're partnering with and and our goal there is to be um the you know the the most visible and preferred brand in 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 the account. Um but but the approach is is very omni-channel because we want to be where consumers are going to be. So think about consumer drinking patterns think about how they consume where they shop for beverages and we want to make it easy we're on amazon um we're direct to consumer on our own site so we want to keep it as simple as possible very very cool so that that sounds like a great journey to be on now what from a personal standpoint what is your favorite clean coke cocktail I like the clean uh, G&T, gin and tonic. Duly noted. I also like clean tea, the clean tequila, which is fantastic. All right. All right, y'all. Check it out. (laughs) So, all right. So, let's let's, let's transition a little bit in the interview, and let's dig into your background here, which has been quite interesting to you. What's what's been the most, most formative leadership experience of your career? It's a great question. Um, probably going into wines and spirits, honestly. Um, I didn't know, uh, while I worked on the category and some of the brands from a very specific place, meaning, you know, media planning and buying, mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. I didn't understand how the category did business. Um, and I stepped into a fairly senior executive marketing role in this category in this company um in 2008 when the economy was taking a nosedive and i had to learn how to essentially move a very very big ship in in the right direction ensure that it maintains its commercial viability for the reason i mentioned earlier it's a huge revenue driver for the company um and learn how to work in a category that had a selling model that was quite foreign to me. It's a three-tiered system in the United States. So it really taught me how to approach 
marketing through the line with an incredibly strong commercial lens connected to it and enforce accountability on every dollar spent and every decision made. Um, it was probably the first time that I ever thought my head would roll in my, in my career. Um, but but the I was pressure or the, the, or, or the external factors. Well, I, without getting into too much detail, I adopted a lot of things that I knew for sure were not going to work. And, you know, a, a brand platform that didn't speak to the core consumer and was too far away from the target, um, a mm -hmm. lack of understanding of what needed to be done from a selling and trade marketing perspective. There were a lot of things that I had to fix, clean up quickly, and convince those who actually approved it at the highest level of the company that we needed to pivot. So, yeah. Yeah. so that, that was a very, very interesting time for me. Want to boost your productivity and decision-making? Get vital insights from each episode delivered directly to your inbox. A great resource, whether you've listened to the episode or not. Go to benfanning.com slash insight. Yeah, so what were the secrets to that, to, to getting through that? Because, I mean, every single person probably listening to this show right now, they can relate, right? Uh, even, even when you're CEO, there's a board right? Unless you're the founder, but a lot of times the founder has a board. So everyone's got a boss at some point uh, true. and you get squeezed, right? You need to get approval for a big change, or maybe they're, they're so far down the road, implementing something that you don't agree with. And you're making you're and you're struggling with the fact of, okay, look, we can end this thing, but we've already put millions of dollars in it. I'm not saying this happened to you, but it happens every day where people spend millions of dollars. A new leader steps into that role and they're like, man, I can clearly see this is not, this is not going to lead us into success. Uh, How I approached what's it. your advice? Yeah. Yeah. I mean, I don't think it's, it'll be a surprise to anyone. Um, feelings are not facts and <laughs> opinions are not always facts. They're, they're formulated on facts at times. So when you ground a plan in hard facts and map it against an ambition, it's a hard argument to work against, um, at least in my experience. And, and with, you know, the, the task at hand, it's, you, you have to understand where, you know, in my case, where the work that wasn't going to work came from and how it was formulated to understand how to explain to the creators or the supporters of that, why you need to pivot. So I think it's about really rationalizing, you know, where you go. Starting um, with facts, starting with facts, grounding it in that and keep coming back to the facts. And if they still say no, That's a you whole make deal. a decision. <laughs> <laughs> I've had that happen. <laughs> <laughs> then you have to agree to disagree <laughs> and find yeah. a common ground. <laughs> well, yeah, and even on your and on the teams you've had, right? Where it, it's difficult when you're trying to lead a team 
and there's disagreement and you try to work through it, you try to incorporate their ideas, you try to persuade them to your point, you try to influence them. But at some point, something's got to give. Either we get on board, because it really, really doesn't work if you move forward and people, they disagree, but they can't support. Versus yeah. I disagree with you, but I will support you because I believe in your leadership. I believe in your overall vision. I think a lot of times if a leader can can really convey a vision and get everybody's enrollment in the vision, then even when you disagree with strategy or tactics, you can you can keep the team together. Uh, but if you don't agree on where we're headed with the vision, it gets hard to keep the team together. I don't know what's your what's your take on that. No, I fully agree. You know, there was one thing that we you know with all LVMH brands or for the ones I've worked on or, or been exposed to, there are core elements of the brand, which which is the brand DNA. And one of the things that we implemented into Belvedere, because it's a, it's a fairly young brand, we were able to define the DNA as we went, was the power of the collective, which is around a we-not-me culture. So the, the point of me bringing this up is, you mentioned something about being aligned on vision and about being aligned on a centralized strategy. If you are aligned on the end goal and you are clear on where we need to get to, um, and I'm speaking, you, you know, the, the universal you, um, then it's easier to allow for concessions in how you would do things for the, the greater good. And, and I think that also yeah. raises critical point around leadership is that you really do need to listen to people and not always listen to their their literal words but understand what they're trying to say like sometimes people are talking to you with a sentiment behind it and they're not saying they're not communicating very clearly and 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 hearing where people's intentions uh, points and motivations are coming from is, is part of getting to that, which is which is where I think you're going, and, and get and and gaining confidence from there and, and trust. I think trust is a critical uh, ingredient for anything to succeed. You have to trust the people you work with, and you have to trust the plan that you collectively put together and agree to. Well, it sounds like a great framework and a great playbook, really, for people to listen to today in terms of how you how you navigate that build that culture and get people aligned on your team and take them to that vision and then how to operate with it. Cause it's one thing to have the vision, but dang it, you got to get the day-to-day to contend with and keep people aligned uh, the way you get there. It's like, you got a good playbook for that. So thanks for sharing, sharing it. Now you, you talk a lot about uh, agility and managing towards growth. Yeah. Uh, what advice do you have for leaders when, when it comes to that piece of leadership? I think everyone, you know, earned a degree in agility through COVID. <laughs> so I think, you know, yeah. for me or, give, or they had to change or the company didn't make it. Yeah. yeah. I mean, I think for me to give advice on that, it's kind of silly, but I, you know, for, I've always operated with the understanding that you, you have a plan, you, you, you stay focused, you stick to the plan, but factors and circumstances arise that, require you on a you know regular basis even daily basis in some some circumstances to reconsider it 
And and if you aren't agile, you just kind of said it, you know, you'll you'll break. If if you don't know how to be nimble and flexible, you'll snap. And and companies that don't understand the idea of agility or employees or partners or people involved in any kind of situation, it's you're not going to succeed. At least I don't think you will. Yeah, clearly it's to grow, you've got to have that baked in. I mean, it's what's so incredible to me is how rarely, I mean, some leaders talk about the need to be flexible or to be agile and really on their onboarding of employees or, hey, when you come to this company, I'm going to cast my vision, right? You're going to hear this, but things might change out there. We might need to change our vision or or where we're headed because of, our, our customers are, are, are going to be different or we, you know, we're discovering things long, long, or the economy changes. And some people, I don't know what your, what your take on this is, but say, well, Ben, the vision should never change. No. But I feel like once people kiss and that holds leaders back from, from really sharing their vision because they're like, Hey, Ben, if I, and, and it's several of my executive coaching clients, you know, this comes up, well, Ben, I don't really want to articulate the vision because I'm not exactly sure what it is. Well, I believe you can change it. You just, if you change it too often, you're going to start losing credibility, but you may need to. What's your take on that? Well, your vision is your North Star. I mean, I think that's how you you navigate where you go to. When I talk about agility, it's more about the road or the path to the vision. Mm-hmm. And a vision isn't, you know, mm. a vision and purpose are not who you are today. Obviously, it's who you want to be when you grow up. Mm. So that can evolve that can tweak um but but i think the core of it should be solid like that your vision is who you want to be when you grow up and the beautiful part about that is y'all it's uh think about it for your team in your, in your company but it applies to yourself and your family yep. <laughs> who do you want to be do the soul search in here so when when's the time you had an unexpected twist or failure in your career and how did it lead to your success or growth all down the road? It wasn't really a failure as much. I mean, I might've felt like I was putting myself in a failure position at the time. I was, I, I chose to leave a, a job um, without a job in place because I had a personal priority. I wanted to start a family. And I was overworking and traveling, and I decided that I could not do this job and do it well and achieve what I wanted to achieve in my personal life that was already compromised by like my timeline of five years, if you will. So I gave myself what ended up being a very tiny timeout, but I, I, I quit my job without any kind of plan in place and it was super scary. And it was a, it was against everything that was ingrained in me. You, you have a job, you move to another job, you move to another opportunity. I was raised with a very strong work ethic. I've been working since a very young age just to, you know, understand the the value of work and have money in my pocket. Um, so it was it was hard for me to say at one point I, I was I was sitting in my office and I was like, 
this is nuts. And I was just mm. thinking, I'm never going to have the life I want to have, the personal life I want to have, not the material life I want to have, the personal life I want to have if I keep working like this. And and I just had this moment where I was like, I actually don't have to do this. <laughs> I have, you know, I was fortunate enough to have enough money in the bank to not worry about it. And enough connections and a reputation to walk away, but there was still this fear. And I think that is mm -hmm. the point that, you know, that's, that's the changing point for me. At that point, I decided in my life, professionally and personally, I will not be led by fear. Fear will always be somewhere in your life, but to be led by it and driven by it is, is debilitating. And that was the 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 big changing point as a, a senior executive, I should say. Yeah, I mean it's it can be tough when you. It's one thing, and congratulations on having enough money stored up for a rainy day, where you can make that decision. But also, there's the idea of my corporate identity. There's the gap on my LinkedIn profile. There's all these things that sort of come into play. It's funny that you said that, though, because I met with a pretty big media executive and told this person what I was doing. And they're like, that's career suicide, like fueling the fear. Like, you can't have a gap in your your experience. That's going to look terrible for you. Do you know how hard it's going to be for you to find a job without having a job? And I was like, not what I need to hear right now, but doing it. <laughs> yeah, I wanted to hear. Yeah, you'll be OK. Just go ahead and do it. Instead, yeah. like, don't do it. Tell you, yeah. And, and I, 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 it was completely the opposite case. Like, I stopped working, and there was, can you? I know you're not working, but can you do this for me? Can you do that for me? Like, and then things just started picking up. And before I even knew it, I had the time that I needed or wanted to take the break, plan my my how I want to operate moving forward. And ease back into it. I ended up going back to Moet Embassy, <laughs> which yeah. was quite funny. <laughs> um, which it, I it worked out. But 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 I do think it, it's important for Lee. And this is thematically. I mean, we're on like episode 150, 160 of our interviews on Lee the team. And a lot of leaders do have this time where they take a time out to be with family, or you know what, they just really need a clean break from the job they have because maybe they're not the right leader and it's not the right organization for them to be leading. So it's just not a right fit because organizations are dynamic. They're living and breathing things and things change. Sometimes it's just not the right fit. And so being courageous to do that is a common theme that a lot of leaders have. Now, what's not always common is how they talk about it or if they ever talk about it like you just did, uh, because they're like, well, it makes me feel a little bit like uh, not as cool a leader as I, I would have been. But to me, and I think you're hitting on something here too, is uh, when you speak into it and you own the situation and you talk about what you learned from it and how it made you a wiser leader, it makes you more valuable out there. Yeah. So, wow, cool. Well, so Billy, winding this up now, um, looking back over this interview, man, we've, we've touched on some really cool things. I'm really glad we got the scoop on CleanCo, and uh, we really dove into some of your leadership stories, which have been really interesting. 
and thought provoking. What's your parting thought for our listeners today? Mm. <laughs> I wasn't go expecting that question. <laughs> go buy go, some. Go ask your cocktail for <laughs> ask for a clean cocktail. Ask for a clean cocktail. I think that's great. <laughs> All right, y'all. I heard it. Go give it a shot. We'll talk to you later. Thanks, Billy. Thanks. If you're an executive at a crossroads in your career and thinking about quitting, do this before you do anything else. Head over to benfanning.com slash quit to receive a free signed copy of my number one best-selling book, The Quit Alternative, The Blueprint for Creating the Job You Love Without Quitting. You'll learn the critical questions you must answer before you make such an impactful decision. Go to benfanning.com slash quit to get this valuable resource for just the cost of shipping. Ben Fanning is a number one best-selling author, Inc. Magazine columnist, and CEO of the Fanning Group, an international consultancy and corporate training company. To learn how they can help your organization, go to benfanning.com.